We continue the Shi'ur in Navi, Navi in Jewish history. Shi'ur began with the story of Yehoshua who led the Jews into Eretz Yisrael. After the passing of Moshe Rabbeinu, they battled with the 31 kings in which they conquered the land of Canaan, became the land of Israel. The passing of Yehoshua, and with the passing of that generation, the Jews, the new generation, stopped believing in Hashem and turned to idols. As was explained, the reason for this transformation was due to the fact that they disobeyed Hashem on one command. Hashem said that there is a mitzvah for every Jew to be kind to the utmost. Superseding that is his allegiance, his loyalty to Hashem. So if at one time Hashem says, you must be cruel, you must be hard-hearted, then all kindness must be set aside. In this case, Hashem had commanded the Jews to destroy, to wipe out, to eradicate every one of the seven nations living in Israel. And because they failed to comply with this order, therefore those these small numbers that remained behind slowly grew, became strengthened, came into power, and they took over. They succeeded in defeating the Jews in battle. The Jews became subservient to them. And of course, when a Jew is beneath the yoke of a non-Jewish, especially Arab nation, then they suffer various types of torment and persecution. And so this brought about a repentance on the part of the Jews. They turned back to Hashem. Hashem aided them to regain their former position. And each time this happened, a leader arose to bring victory to the Jews. When this leader passed away, the Jews again turned to evil. And so it went on in history until we come to the story of King David. At present, we're dealing with those leaders known as Shoftim, or judges. The last leader we had was a woman, Devorah the prophetess, and during her time, the Jews enjoyed peace for a period of 40 years. She passed away, then the Jews again turned to idol worship, and Hashem gave power to the Midianites, Midian. For a period of seven years, the Jews suffered at the hands of these Midianites, who destroyed their field, who killed their cattle, and who placed the heavy yoke burden of taxes upon the Jews that was unbearable. And so the Jews finally turned back to Hashem. They cried out and prayed to Hashem. And of course, we must be aware of the fact that there's no such thing as committing evil in the eyes of Hashem that is irreparable. That is impossible because Hashem is infinite, everlasting, eternal, and infinite. And the qualities of Hashem are just as infinite as Hashem himself. So the kindness of Hashem is eternal. You cannot reach the limit of Hashem's patience or kindness. If a Jew commits the worst sins in the world, innumerable times, he turns back to Hashem and pleads with Hashem for Hashem's forgiveness and kindness, he is certain to get it. That's why there's no reason to marvel, to wonder at the number of times the Jews turned away, they rebelled against Hashem, turned to idol worship, the worst sin possible, and yet each time, Hashem took them back. As we said, each time there arose a new leader, this time the Jews cried to Hashem, and then one day, suddenly, a malach, an angel, appeared in the garden of one named Gidon. Gidon, I believe in English they pronounce it Gideon. 
Hebrew name is Gidon, the son of Yoash, from the tribe of Manasseh. This Gidon was working in the field. His important quality was a deep respect and loyalty to his father. He fulfilled the mitzvah of Kibbut Av to the utmost, the best of his ability. Now in this case, he knew that the Midianites would come around to attack. There was a possibility of attack, and so he told his father, you stay hidden while I work the fields and try to get as much vegetation as possible to amass, to accumulate, and hide from the Midianites. While he was working in the field one day, this Malach appeared before him, and he said to him, Hashem is with you, you valiant warrior, powerful fighter. Hashem is with you because Hashem states that there are three partners in the birth of a human being. The father, the mother, are two partners, bringing out, producing the physical body. Hashem is the third partner who instills, infuses into the body the five senses, and above all, the spirit of life. Now Hashem says, if you show respect to my partners, I regard that as showing respect to me. Who is considered a gibar, powerful, one who overcomes his temptation, one who fulfills the mitzvah of Hashem. And so the greeting to Gidon was, Hashem is with you, you powerful warrior. Gidon's reply to the angel, now remember he was speaking to an angel, and he said, I beg of you, my master, if you say Hashem is with us, why has all this trouble befallen us? Where is Hashem's protection? Well, of course, your answer might be that the Jews are sinners. They've turned away from Hashem. But that answer does not suffice. Because I just learned the sentence that says Yisrael Mimitzrayim. The Jews were taken out of bondage, slavery in Egypt. Why did Hashem rescue them from this slavery? One of two reasons either because they were very great tzaddikim, they were very righteous, and if so, then their zechus, their merits, should protect us to this day. Due to their merits, Hashem should still be kind to us, still be on our side against our enemies. If, however, they were not deserving, if they were Hashem, wicked, then we see that Hashem helps the wicked. In that case, Hashem should certainly help us too. So therefore, I have a question, why doesn't Hashem help us? I disregard the actions of the Jews, no matter what category they're in, no matter how bad they may be, in my eyes, they deserve to be helped by Hashem. So my question is, you say Hashem is with us, where? At this point, the Torah says that the angel stopped speaking. The angel did not reply. Instead, Hashem himself spoke to Gidon. Hashem said to him, this strength you have, this power you have, Use this power, and with this power you're going to help the Jews to victory against the Midianites. Because I am sending you as my messenger to lead the Jews. And the Gemara, especially the Zorah Kodesh, says, How come that Gidon wasn't that great at Tzaddik? He was far from being so great at Tzaddik. Enough that he enjoyed the privilege of having an angel speak to him. Very few people in history had an angel speak to them personally. So it takes a very special person to deserve this unusual heavenly credit. Uh, why wasn't that sufficient? 
Why here Hashem himself turned to speak to Gidon? The Zohar Kodesh answers because Gidon had just performed a deed that exceeded that of Eliyahu Hanavi, greater than Eliyahu the prophet. He did something that Hashem desires most in a leader of the Jews. In the case of Eliyahu Hanavi, he tried to avenge the honor of Hashem that had been desecrated by the Jews who worshipped idols at that time. And so he turned against the Jews and brought about a famine, a drought. In this case, Gidon, instead of attacking the Jews for their idol worship, defended them, fought for them, and Hashem said, this is the kind of leader I want. I want a leader like Moshe Rabbeinu. That when the golden calf was built, turning against Hashem at the time of Kaviachal, the wedding. As we said, the Gemara says this was like a wedding between Hashem and the Jews, and the bride under the canopy committed adultery. The Jews who were the bride turned away from their groom Hashem, turned to the golden calf that's committing adultery right then. What did Moshe Rabbeinu say? Instead of attacking the Jews then, he defended them with his life. He said to Hashem, if you're going to harm one single Jew, let that one Jew be me. Kill me first. Hashem said, that's the kind of leader I want for my children. And since you defended the Jews so staunchly now, you are the leader I want. Go with this strength of yours, and you will bring victory to the Jews. Gideon replied, he was taken aback and said, who am I? I'm the, one of the smallest. I come from the smallest family in a tribe that is small. Manasseh, I myself am undeserving. And now the angel said to him, you have been chosen, and you will be the leader. Gideon said to the angel, can you show me some proof that I'm really accepted, that you are an angel? Will you partake of a feast that I'll make for you? The same as Abraham Avinu made for the angel who came to visit him. And the angel said yes. Gideon ran, brought some meat, goat's meat, matzahs, this was on Pesach, this took place. And a plate of soup, a pot of soup. The angel said to Gidon, place the meat and the matzos on top of that rock. The soup pour out over the rock. This Gidon did. The angel took his stick or his wand. He touched the rock and everything went up in flames and the angel disappeared. Gidon was worried. He had seen an angel. The rule is that a person does not see an angel during his lifetime. The only time a person sees an angel is at the moment of death, when he sees the angel of death. But, again, he was reassured. Again, Hashem told him, Go, you are accepted by Ratzon. I mean, it's very gladly by Hashem. You will live despite having seen the angel, and just fulfill this next command that will establish you as a leader. The worst idol at that time, in fact, throughout the generations, was known as the idol Baal. This Baal had a special Mizbeach, an altar built before him, which the Jews worshipped at that time. And the special tree that was used for idolatry was the Asherah. This Asherah, Hashem said to Gidon, destroy this Mizbeach, this altar of Baal, cut down this tree, build a second Mizbeach for the sake of Hashem, and take a cow 
that's been salvaged, saved by the Jews for a period of seven years. It's been fattened for seven years to offer as a sacrifice to Baal. Take this cow, use the share of this tree as wood for burning, and under this bear, sacrifice this cow to Hashem. Gideon you know, did this readily. He did it at night when he could not be seen. The next morning, the people came around and saw their altar destroyed, this idol destroyed. And this was in the vicinity of Gideon's father. They ran to Gideon's father, to Yoash, and they said, Who destroyed the altar, Baal's altar? It must have been your son Gideon. Let us have him. Yoash said to them, no one will touch Gidon. Whoever touches him will die. Let's wait. Give him a chance. Now, if you believe that this is an idol that has heavenly powers, why do you have to defend the honor of this idol? Let this idol attack and destroy the one that disgraced it. Let Baal fight his own battles against Gidon. The wording used was Yoriv lo habal let Baal fight with him and therefore the Torah says from that time on Gidon's name was changed to Yerubal Yerubal means let Baal battle Gidon he acquired this honorary degree this name Yerubal and with this he then went to they saw of course that Baal had no powers Gidon began to mobilize the Jews of different tribes he told him, come with me, and we will, I will lead you to victory against the Midianites. Now, he then turned to Hashem, and he prayed. And he said, Hashem, I have complete faith that with your help we'll be victorious. But I would like to ask, I'd like to request respectfully for a sign from heaven. I'd like to have a miracle show me proof that we will win meaning that you are definitely on our side Hashem said ask any miracle you please Gideon said here in the garden I have a roll a thick wad of wool shorn wool I'd like to have that overnight the morning every morning there is dew that descends upon the ground Morit Hatal I'd like to have that this morning I should find only the wad of wool saturated with dew and the rest of the ground should be dry. The dew should reach only this wool and not the ground. The next morning he awoke, he found the wad of wool so completely saturated that he squeezed out and actual water ran from it. It was a flow. The ground was the ground was, the Torah does not say, the Gemara says, of course, it was impossible to fulfill this request. The ground was comparatively dry, meaning there was so much dew in the wad of wool that compared to what the ground was dry. But it could not be possible that the ground should not have dew on it, because we find one of the bris, a treaty that Hashem had made in creating the world, that there will always be dew on the ground. Every day of the year, there can never be a day without this dew reaching the ground. It's just that to show the extreme opposite in the wad of wool, that the wad was saturated more than the ground. The end of this proof, 
Guido said, may I ask for one more item of proof? Because perhaps this might be a natural tendency. Let me ask that tomorrow morning I find that the ground is filled with dew and the wand of wool is completely dry. Hashem said, wait till tomorrow, you'll see. The next morning, he found exactly what he'd requested. The wool was dry, completely dry, and the ground was completely covered with dew. This was the proof he needed, and he set out to mobilize the Jews to go into battle. Now, when he got the, the Jews together, Hashem said to Gidon, I want to show the Jews a miracle. Now, if you have mobilized a large army, they will say, What brought about the victory? The fighting spirit of the Jews, their large numbers. I want you to offer all the soldiers a chance, an opportunity to return. If they have any fear whatsoever of going to battle, they may return, take only those that are not afraid. So he announced, whoever has any fear of battle whatsoever is excused, completely exempt, he may return home. Army soldiers there, 22,000 returned. There were 32,000 altogether. He was now left with 10,000 Jews, 10,000 soldiers. Again, Hashem said 10,000 is a small number, but it still might be misconstrued. They might feel that 10,000 soldiers is an army, they fought valiantly, they won, that will still belie the fact of a miracle. So you've got to take these 10,000, test them by bringing them to a stream of water, and pick out only the good ones, the pure ones, those who have complete faith. He brought them to this water, and Hashem said, tell them to drink. Those that get down on their knees to drink, those you will reject. Those that lie flat, lick, lap up the water without getting on their knees those you will accept of the 10,000 only 300 were accepted then this was the extent of Gidon's army but by the way this is found in Din that at no time should a Jew ever get down on his knees this refers to anything if you're working in a field or if you're working in a home You've got to do some carpentry work on the floor or close to the floor. You cannot get down on both knees. At most or at worst, one knee touching the ground and one knee at least an inch off the ground. Never to have both knees touch the ground because that is considered an Easter. A Jew can never bow, not even to Hashem, except on Yom Kippur when we do it. In Shul Rashon Yom Kippur at, at the Avoda Korim, but even then, we have certain precautions that are taken. It is only in the Beis HaMikdash where the Jews actually bowed. So this is a very strict law that a Jew should never get down on both knees. And this applies especially to the poor housewives who have to wash the floors, get down on their knees to scrub the floor. They've got to be careful, better to sacrifice the cleanliness rather than to sacrifice this law. Never get down on both knees. These were the Jews that were selected, 300 soldiers. Now we see a war strategy that could and should be used by generals nowadays. 
how do you attack an army of hundreds of thousands of soldiers with only 300 men? To add to this difficulty, 300 men who are not even equipped with weapons, weapons that are, that are worthy of battle. So Gidno took the 300, told them he divided into three parts, three separate lines of attack, two on both sides of their army and one frontal attack. But we cannot attack if we have no weapons. So we'll set up a special plan. In your right hand, you will each carry a chauffeur. Chauffeur means simply a noisemaker. But the sound of a chauffeur, Torah says, is something that injects fear into a person's heart. We use the chauffeur on Rosh Hashanah because it injects fear of Hashem. It's a frightening sound that arouses the fear and dread of judgment. So each person, each one of these 300 men carried a chauffeur in his right hand. In his left hand, he carried a jar, glass jar. In it was a torch, a lit torch. He told them, when I give you the signal, you follow me and do as I say. Meanwhile, Hashem said to Gidon, if you have any further doubts now as to the certain victory, then sneak over to the side of the Midianites at night and catch a few snatches of conversation there. This will solidify the, completely any doubts in your mind. So he went down with his servant. He came close to them. He heard the guards speaking, the Midianite guards. And one said to the other, I had a dream last night, a very strange dream. I saw the large tent of the Midianites. And then from a hill came rolling a small loaf of bread, oat bread. This rolled down the hill, it crashed into this large tent and destroyed it completely. How could a small loaf of bread destroy a large tent, a, a building that housed the Midianite army? The second guard answered, what you saw probably was the sword of Gidon because we've heard of his prowess, his powers, and I fear that this portends the defeat of the Midianites through Gidon. Gidon heard this, he went back feeling much happier, much more secure, and of course the Gemara says, what was the real meaning of this dream? What is this loaf of bread? The time for delivery of the Jews was on Pesach. The Jews rescued from Egypt on the holiday of Pesach, which means the holiday of freedom, is At that time, we have the Omer, the counting of the Omer. The Omer is a carbonic made of oats, cheapest type of food, oats. And this loaf of bread meant now that this was the symbol of Pesach, of the Cherus, the freedom of Jews from their bondage with the Midianites. Same thing, of course, too, the Gemara says, ultimately, the freedom of Jews from their exile, permanent freedom, 
will also come about in the month of Nisan, the month of Pesach, that's the scheduled time. We want to forewarn that the scheduled time has nothing to do with us, because we believe and we are assured that Mashiach can come at any moment if the Jews will repent. If at this very moment the Jews will decide to repent, turn their eyes up to Hashem and say, we accept your laws, we pray for Mashiach, he can come this very moment. And the true faith that a Jew must have is that we await Mashiach's coming every second of each day. So if Mashiach comes now, in the middle of this shear, we will not be surprised. We are very delighted, but not surprised, because we expect him momentarily. Gideon went back, told his three sections, three divisions of his army, follow <coughs> my actions. And at the given signal, he said, everyone uh, blow the shofar simultaneously, break the jar, and light these holy torches up high. Now, the effects will be, in a regular army, you have just a few who blow the horn or the shofar, a few leading guards, and you have a few torch-carrying soldiers in the midst of the vast army. The Midianites will see so many torches and so many shofars blaring away, the crashing of these jars, they will think there must be millions of soldiers attacking. This will lead them to panic and fear, and there's nothing that can destroy an enemy, an army, as much as fear itself. Fear and panic. Kinnon did this together with the rest of the soldiers, and they had no weapons, as we said, but this resulted in such panic that the Midianites leaped out, it was at night, to battle an unseen enemy. And a tremendous war broke out among themselves, they just flashed their swords indiscriminately, and they attacked each other blindly. And so the result of this battle was that most of these soldiers were killed at their own hands by their own men. This proved to be a major victory for Gidon and the Jews. Those that could fled, escaped, and Gidon and his few men went after them, pursued them. Now, there were a number of, there were two kings of the Midianites that he was especially after. There were also a number of high officials, high officers. And at this moment, Gidon called upon, solicited the aid of the tribe of Ephraim, told them to go after these high officials. They did. They caught two of them. They killed them. And then they came back to Gidon with a claim. They were very angry, and they said, Why did you desert us before? Why did you ignore us? Why did you ask our aid before to let us join this battle? Why did you leave us out? The Gidon saw they could become very dangerous. He said to them, Don't be angry at me, because the fact is that the main victory came through you. I could never have done what you did. You were the ones that proved the victors in getting the leaders of the Midianite armies. This pacified them and appeased them. And Gideon went on further to seek out those two kings, Sebech and Salmuna. He came to one city of the Jews, 
For there he asked the uh, city was the name of the city was Sukkos. He asked the people of Sukkos for provisions, food for his army of three hundred men, because they had to continue on pursuing these kings. The people of Sukkos laughed at him and said, "We cannot offer you anything now. When you bring back the heads of these kings, then you'll boast." Until then, we give you no bread at all. And Gidon was infuriated. He said to them, I'll bring back those heads. But when I do, your heads will roll too. He went out to the city of Peniel. There again he asked for, for, for bread and food. And they too rejected him. And he threatened their lives also. He went on. He finally caught these two kings. Brought them back. And he had the people of these two cities wiped out. Then he turned to his oldest son and said, I give you the honor of killing these two kings. Draw your sword and kill them. His oldest son was very young. He was still a boy, and he was afraid. He couldn't understand that these two kings were helpless. So being afraid, he desisted. These two kings turned to Gidon and said, You're going to kill us. Don't disgrace us. It is only fitting that kings should die by the hand of a king. You be the one to draw your sword and kill us. Gidon complied with their request. He killed these two kings, and there was peace. Now, the Jews saw the victory that had come, so they came to Gidon, and they begged him to become king over them. Remember that until this time there were still no kings over the Jews. Kiddo said, I will not rule over you, neither will my children. I want you only to accept, only accept Hashem as your king. Consider the king of the Jews as Hashem. So for 40 years there was peace as long as Gidon was alive and the Jews worshipped Hashem until his passing. Now, Gidon had 70 sons. He had a lot of wives. Gidon or Yerubal had a lot of wives. He had 70 sons. He also had one Pelegish, uh, that's a half-wife, not officially a wife that was without the laws of Ksuba, but it was permissible in those days. And this wife, he had one son whose name was Avimelech. And this Avimelech, being a half-son, not a full, not recognized legally as a full son, not recognized legally as one who would inherit his father, was very jealous of his 70 brothers. So he spoke to the Jews quietly. He schemed, he plotted to get the Jews on his side. And his plan was to convince the Jews that it was much better for them to have one leader to take over after Gidon rather than to have 70. So he convinced them slowly that they should come over to his side, accept him as their leader rather than the 70. When he saw he'd convinced enough people, he then got a, acquired 
a band of thieves, black-hearted criminals who were killers at heart, and with these thieves, these criminals to help him, he invaded the home of Gidon, this was after Gidon's passing, and he killed, he assassinated every one of Gidon's children, sons, every one that is except one. He killed 69 of them, except the youngest one, Yosem, who had hidden out. But he wasn't worried about Yosem, he's only a child comparatively, so he felt he had taken over the rule of the Jews. He was now safely ensconced as the leader, perhaps even the king of the Jews. The Jews would follow him gladly. Now, following this, Yosem would hidden out, felt a deep hatred against Abimelech, a desire for revenge, but he was incapable, helpless. He couldn't do anything about it. So he felt that perhaps he could inject a doubt, could plant a seed of doubt into the hearts of the Jews against Avimelech, or perhaps bring about a friction where they would rebel, be mistrust. They wouldn't trust him as their leader. He would not trust them as being loyal to him. So he bided his time. And one day, when the Jews were assembled with Abimelech as their leader, Yosem went up to a high ridge, a safe vantage point, and he called out to all the Jews. And he said to them, listen to my words, all of you. Now, if you agree with me, you'll know what to do about this. If not, it's up to yourself. Let me tell you a story that once took place, and this story will reflect upon what happened among you. One, once upon a time, the trees, all the trees got together and decided that they must have a king. Any type of living things, humans, lands, must have a leader. The trees felt they have no one to lead them among the trees. They've got to appoint a king over them. So they decided to offer this position to one they felt that was worthy. They decided that the olive tree was a pure type of tree. They'd offer the kingdom to the olive tree. They approached the olive and they said, rule over us, accept the kingdom. The olive said to them, I am very occupied with something much more important than ruling over trees, because I produce oil, and oil is very important at all times. Never a generation where oil is not important. Witness the long lines waiting for it. Something that's used on the Mizbeach, something that's used in showing respect and offering to Hashem, the oil that was used at the altar, the oil that's used to anoint kings, <clears throat> the oil that's used for sacrifices, one that's used at the best of foods. Shall I stop serving Hashem and humans in order to rule over trees? Definitely not. I refuse your offer. So the trees left. They decided that the second best was the fig tree. They said to the fig tree, will you 
rule over us? Will you be king over us? And the fig tree replied, I produce a fruit that is so sweet and so pleasant to the taste. If I have to rule over you, I'll have to stop producing. I would rather produce this pleasant item. It's very savory fruit, which people enjoy, rather than to rule over wood, over trees. So the trees turned to the vine, the grapevine. They said to the grapevine, come, you rule over us. Grapevine replied, would I stop producing wine that brings happiness to people, that brings joy, that is poured also on the altar at the sacrifices, just to rule over trees? I refuse. Finally, the trees, so they had no recourse, they turned to the thorn. They said to the lowly thorn, come with us, you rule over us. The thorn looked up at the trees and said, are you serious? If you truly mean to anoint me as your king, fine, I have something to offer you. I will offer you protection. A thorn is a dangerous plant. You can rest assured within my protective care. I will rule over you royally and with a true devotion. But if you are mocking me, if this is all a jest, then I curse you that may a fire come forth from the thorn and destroy all the oak trees and giant trees in Lebanon. This was the reply of the thorn to the trees. But now, the Melech said to the people of Shechem, to the Jews assembled there, if with truth and sincerity you have appointed Avimelech as king, these are the words of Yosem, if you really appointed with sincerity Avimelech as king over you, then fine. May you have a long and happy life together. But remember that you are doing a harm and injustice to the family of your former leader, your former ruler, because Gidon served you with all his heart. Gidon brought joy, prosperity, and victory to the Jews when they were so downtrodden. If this is the payment that he receives for all the sacrifices on your behalf, then enjoy it. But if your intentions are not pure, if your intentions are to do harm to the family of Gidon, and you don't really mean with sincerity to have one to lead you, then let a fire come forth from Avimelech to the people of Shechem, to the Jews here, and from the people of Shechem to Avimelech, may you destroy one another. With this, he ran because he knew they would kill him for these words. He fled, he hid out, and they, they could not pursue him, they could not catch him. Now, a number of items transpired where the curse of Yosem came true. There was a friction that developed between Abimelech and the people of Shechem. There were certain ones that rose to rebel against him,
and after a series of incidents, the result was that Avimelech was finally killed in a very short battle, and to his disgrace, he was killed by a woman. He came close to a fortress to attack it. The woman on top threw down a heavy rock that landed on his head, smashed his head. He was dying, and he called to his servant, and pleaded with his servant that his servant should take out his sword to complete this job. Because, he said, I don't want to go down in history as the great Abimelech killed by an ordinary woman. This servant complied with his request, and he killed him. At this point, the people realized then that Abimelech was really wicked. They turned away from him, and peace sort of returned to the Jews. However, this does not last too long. The Jews again turned away from Hashem, and again and again, this same trouble befell them. They turned away, the enemies attacked, they became subservient to the enemies, they turned back to Hashem, and Hashem sent different leaders, until we come to a number of more outstanding leaders. However, there's one important point to bring out. This history of Nassau says is the true history of the Jews at that time. However, this is the true history of every single Jew. Each Jew, without exception, can find himself in the words of the Navi, this, this history story. Because every Jew in serving Hashem goes through these battles. He goes through these periods of elevation and descent. A person can serve Hashem very loyally, and one day his mind might be filled with doubts, or he might commit a certain sin which he couldn't resist, and he has that yirida, that descent he falls. And this lasts for a period of time until he begins to realize his conscience guides him back. He davens, he prays to Hashem with true sincerity, and Hashem takes him back. He finds himself being elevated once more. This is a continuous cycle of the part of the Jews, just as the moon has its rise, its increases and decreases. Gossenzel says we must learn a lesson from these stories to know that at no time may a Jew lose hope. Know that no matter what happens to you, you can still turn back to Hashem because Hashem will always accept you. This is the main item of emunah, faith and the kindness of Hashem, the true devotion that Hashem has to the Jews, which should be returned in the same measure. This we should strive for, to this true emunah, true faith in Hashem, because in Yizachus of faith only will be assured of ultimate eternal victory with the coming of Mashiach. Amen.